Hello and welcome to the Room of Lives. I'm your host Neil and today we are joined by Ian Benwis. Ian was a Black Hawk helicopter pilot in Operation Just Cause in Panama in 1989, which was part of the war on drugs. After the war, Ian joined pharmaceutical giant Pfizer and witnessed firsthand the rise of synthetic opioids and SSRI-based meds for treating anxiety and PTSD. In the years since, Ian has been healing himself and other veterans of trauma using plant-based medicines and psychedelics of Latin American origin. In the previous two sections, Ian gave a broad overview of his experiences and his work, and we talked about war, trauma, the pharmaceutical industry, and drug policy. In this concluding section, I first ask Ian about healing using plant medicines and practices. We discussed the path of psychedelics as compared with the path of spiritual practice and about the idea of nirvana that these paths supposedly lead to. In the context of healing and rehabilitation, we talk about eating right and exercise, and Ian shares with us his spiritual practice and his habits of eating and physical activity before sharing some general advice on living well. Then we dive headlong into the curious world that psychedelics open up. What have they revealed about the nature of life and reality? Is the world separate at all from ourselves? Are we separate from each other? Is life a kind of illusion or dream? Do we die? At the very end, I ask Ian for guidance and advice as a student seeking to bridge the gap between spirituality and science through psychedelics research, and then some advice for life in general. Okay, so this second part, I'm calling it healing using plant medicines and practices. In the first part, we talk mostly about war and trauma and the manner in which traditional medicines have been unhelpful. So here we'll talk about using plant medicines and, and practices. Once again... Which yeah. are previous traditional, <laughs> yeah. right? They're just traditional beforehand. Yeah, 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 yeah. And once again, the questions are going to be the extra questions that I have that were not covered in the Molotov Seminar. So you mentioned at some point that it's generally understood that 10% of the shamans are legitimate. It's a rough number. Yeah. So my question is, what kind of stuff are the rest up to? I guess the same ego games, a lot of us, which are attacking other shamans that they see as more, you know, successful or higher level, whatever. So playing ego games with other shamans, uh, but obviously the biggest one is... either not being qualified and or having negative intentions towards the people that they're serving. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, not creating a safe and sacred container, not giving people appropriate medicines or giving people medicines that are not appropriate because of the other medications that they're on, you know, that are contraindicated. So, you know, it can be uh, intentional ill will, out of greediness, it can be just lack of care and concerns. So just basically people that aren't humble and don't have the training and not doing it for the right reasons and are doing it 
primarily for the money. Mm. Yeah. So, Let's see. During the Molotov seminar, you mentioned that the, the psychedelic plant medicine that you're taking is not, it's one way that it's unlike the, the prescribed uh, SSRIs and OPIs is that these are not maintenance drugs. Um, but then someone asked, a friend of mine called Stefan asked the question. He said, well, if that is the case, and you're also saying that you did ayahuasca like yeah, uh, sure 54 that. times, Last year, or maybe in your life, past so couple, far, in the past couple years, in the past yeah. couple years, uh, so he posed this question, and um, you answered that question, but you said something when you were answering that I'm curious about. You said, you know, there's no, there's no end to uncovering the layers yeah. as you go and do these medicines every new time. So my blunt question to you is, what about the idea of enlightenment or nirvana? What about the idea? What about it? Well, <laughs> the, the, I would say that from my current understanding, which is impoverished, of the idea of enlightenment, that that's the end of uncovering the layers. Sure. I think it's more that you can have a temporary experience of being full of light, mm. but that doesn't keep you enlightened mm. unless you practice, like we talked about before, that, that crystal... Taking that light in and shining shining that light out. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's not, I mean, they used to say kind of back in the 60s, when you get the message, hang up the phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's legit. It's basically saying, hey, if you're, you know, you should be using, well, no, it should be, there you go. You can use these medicines to help work on yourself, but sort of if you finish the work, mm. uh you don't need to keep on going back for more. But I think the bigger thing is that the work keeps on going, even let's say after you focus on the traumas, there's different layers, more layers to understanding what that means and understanding who you are and how you fit into the cosmos. But definitely if the medicines, you know, they're they're not, it's not a requirement. Mm -hmm. People have taken one of these medicines once or a couple of times and they're, for the foreseeable future for themselves, they're set. They're, they're, yeah. they're good to go. So... Again, the medicines don't, they can take you to a state, but that's different than a station. A state is potentially mm -hmm. temporary, you know, potentially less fixed versus a station where you're like, okay, so these monks that might say, someone might say that they're enlightened or whatever, they've gone over time, right? Station, they're moving slowly to get from one, you know, through the stations, through this path, but they may have an enlightenment that takes them to a place that's at a very high uh, station, but it's only temporarily. So they, they're in that state, right? And then they yeah. come back out of it. And even if it were the case where you did reach or achieve temporarily some kind of enlightenment or liberation, my perspective on it would still be like the kind of bodhisattva perspective. If, 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 you're, if you're that great, the ultimate message from there is, hey, go back and help other people mm -hmm. <laughs> turn that yeah higher level understanding into compassion for your fellow creatures so mm -hmm. yeah you know, so irrespective of whether you can get to enlightenment or become enlightened it's all to me somewhat moot in that the goal is to be in service to yourself and others right your highest self and so if you're doing that with the medicine i think that's uh that's fine and you know you'll you'll know whether you need to Need more or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think the bigger thing would be kind of a question maybe around 
how do you, and this kind of came up in this in the you know seminar as well, which is sort of how do you know when to to go back to the medicine? And I answer that more around or what I can't remember what I said, but mm-hmm. it's it, it's more that it's not. Uh, how do you know when to go back to medicine? Or maybe you shouldn't go back to the medicine if it's a snow globe and you've shaken it yeah, up yeah, and now yeah. you've reconstituted yourself. If it's still swirling around in there, mm. it's not a good time to take the medicine. Otherwise, you're just keeping it swirling so you never have to yeah. identify with any mm. who you are. You're just like, I don't know, man. It's all up for grabs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so. Um, a lot of spiritual traditions take decades and lifetimes to reach realizations that can be revealed in minutes by psychedelics sometimes. So I've mentioned earlier to you how I am suspicious of shortcuts when it comes to the mind. So do you have something to to sort of reflect on, on this concern yeah. of mind when it comes to... Well, I think there's, there, there are two different ways to do the same thing. They're both mindfulness practices that help down-regulate the ego. The power and utility of the slow meditation practice, spiritual practice, daily practice, is that it is very slow, but it's also very cumulative, and it also does a really good job in general of preserving the work that's been laid down before, right? So Mm -hmm. you're, you know... (laughs) You're building this huge edifice just one one brick at a time. So a storm doesn't come along and that's set up and blow away all your bricks. You just keep on yeah, laying yeah. them down. And but it takes a long time. And as you said, it may take for you know from your perspective lifetime. Mm-hmm. So uh whereas in psychedelics, on the other hand, you know, the jokes are things like fifteen, you know, years of therapy in fifteen minutes or yeah, you know however many years of therapy in your in your ayahuasca session. And so uh, psychedelics are a greater catalyst in that they have a more, you know, temporary and intense power, right, of this experience that can be deeper, but it also mean it, it means it can be harder to hold, right, mm-hmm. harder to integrate. And your, your experience is only good to whatever degree you can integrate that into your life, hmm. right? If, if, you know, if you can't take those things and make your life more functional, it kind of uh, really ends up uh, de- defeating the purpose. So, now I'm trying to remember where I was trying to go with that. I oh, yeah, that. I mean, I, I was asking about... I didn't really ask. I just said that you yeah. know, I'm kind of suspicious when it comes to yeah, shortcuts. yeah. So, so I think those so those work together best. They work best combined together. Yeah, having a continual, simple, mm. incremental, solid, you know, spiritual practice, mm. and then you can take this those revelations and deep processing experiences on the medicines and put them into that spiritual container to. Mm. integrate them to protect them to preserve them to utilize them so that's mm. what i found for myself having a daily spiritual practice and doing yoga and knowing how to do meditation having all those things made it easier to do the processing i was getting from these really deep dives in psychedelics where you're releasing trauma and you're understanding how you fit in relation to 
your family and other people and you're getting cosmic downloads and you're like, holy crap, I'm nuts. I've totally lost my mooring and everything. But having those daily spiritual practices and a spiritual philosophy and taking care of yourself and self-care all help to ground that stuff and to inculcate it and to integrate it. Um, so on that same topic, um, people in the West sometimes are not familiar with uh, these spiritual traditions, but they may undergo traumatic experiences, for example, um, going to battle. And then they come back and to them, a healing procedure through psychedelics is much more um, accessible and immediate than, you know, going through a long drawn um, meditation or spiritual practice. So for the moment, if you imagine someone who goes through this um, psychedelic path, they, they don't, they're not always shaking the snow globe. Yeah. So they, they do it at regular intervals, but they do not complement it with a spiritual practice. In your experience, what how would that work or not work? Yeah, what happens is, and this is, of course, all generalizing, mm-hmm. right? But those people end up having to go back to the, to the medicine sooner. Mm-hmm to try to get back or reinforce or reconnect or uncover those same lessons mm. or connect the lessons that they were trying to get the first time that they didn't integrate. Mm. You know, in the Jewish tradition, it says that your uh, deeds have to be greater than your wisdom. So, like, your theory and your intelligence is only so good as it's applied. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you have to translate it into positive action. That's, you know... That's why re- reintegration or integration is such a big topic of discussion around medicine circles is, you know, the, the goal of the mystical experience, as Houston said, Houston Smith said, is altered traits, not altered states. Mm. So it's mm. not the action movie. It's how does that movie change mm-hmm. your life? Or it's not the sermon from the minister. It's how does that affect your behavior? Mm-hmm. So it's not the peak experience or the visuals or the cosmic downloads or or even unity consciousness if you come back and you're an mm. asshole you're acting like an asshole <laughs> mm. what you know what good is that uh vision or experience mm-hmm. then it's sort of a some kind of you know intellectual masturbation yeah and i'm not Some trying kind to for short-lived entertainment yeah exactly yeah. i'm not even trying to knock you know just the, the a pleasure aspect of it but ultimately yeah it's 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 about functionality i'm very practical the, the practical is the spiritual the spiritual yeah. is the practical so yeah if you can put it into your life and make improvements from there then you could go back to the medicine on whatever personal schedule you know there's like a triage to it as well if you're gonna Kill yourself, like you're saying, you don't have that luxury of um, doing some kind of long-term spiritual spiritual practice. But ideally, you'd give someone some opportunity to have some deep releases and, and mm-hmm. revelations on the medicine, and then start to couple that, or simultaneously be coupling that with these other spiritual technologies, mm-hmm. breathing and meditation, yeah. yoga, whatever, just to help that person hold those things and integrate them and uh yeah literally like think like have the flexibility and you know yeah to do it yeah so. yeah you see these uh these drawings i didn't draw those the the two ones like in black yeah. and white um i bought these from an artist who sells his art in the 
Pike Place Market in Seattle. Yeah, I've been there. Yeah, um, and uh, after I looked through his art, I felt compelled to engage in a conversation with him. (laughs) And I, like, after a couple minutes, I immediately went into my experience of, I had recently taken LSD the first time. I felt like I wanted to talk to him about this. And I told him what I was surprised by, that there were, you know, very few visuals and it felt overall it was a negative experience for me and the way that i would sum it up was that it was a philosophical implosion of my head and so i asked him you know why is it that like you know this my experience turned out to be so much more different than this huge entertainment entertaining thing that i keep hearing about and he told me something he said um he said that his he and his ex-wife or ex-girlfriend he noticed reacted very differently to LSD. He said, um, when I took LSD, um, I felt like, well, what he did was he went and he communicated with a tree in his backyard for hours. Whereas his ex-wife who did it, she, she ingested it and she immediately went downtown out to party. And he felt like he was unable to, it was, it was, impossible for him to do the same he was just compelled to like connect with and so i'm remembering this now because i've seen several other examples of when the drug that's being given to the person is the same but the way in which they relate to that experience or what experience they have is very different and there's a certain category of experiences that ends up changing you or motivating you to be different or move in a different way once you are off the drug again and the other category is just viewed as this entertainment that you can just go back to and entertain yourself again but then when the drug goes away you're kind of back to being almost the same person that you were before and like nothing really percolated so i mean it's just kind of i was just reminded of this when you were when you were talking about i recently attended a meetup about ketamine Put on locally in your town by a doctor and his wife who are um, giving people ketamine treatments. Mm. And there was a gentleman in there that asked a question. It'll be just like a great example of this. Of course, I won't say his name, but this gentleman uh, said, Yeah, I've been to get some ketamine treatments from this other provider here in town, and they were really amazing. It was really helpful. And the benefits lasted for about three months, and then they kind of went away. And so his question to this other doctor was, how much does your stuff cost? How does it work? It was all about the sort of mechanics of it, you know, getting this thing of, like, purchasing this commodity, this yeah. service. And and so he got those questions answered. Then after when you were meeting some of the people that were there, I was talking to that same gentleman, and I asked him, you know, do you want to know how to – not have to go back and take more medicine. And he looked at me like, what? And I said, yeah, do you want to, you know, you want me to tell you? And he's like, sure. And I said, oh, so when you took that medicine the first time and you got all that information about yourself, cosmic downloads, personal, biographical, whatever, you have to integrate those lessons into your life <laughs> and make those changes, right? Mm-hmm. In a positive way. Uh, you know, you have to, schematically dismember yourself before you can remember yourself before you can put yourself back together but basically that you have to do the work and the only way is through and he goes 
No, no, no. You don't understand. So you have this genetic condition. And I just said, uh, science doesn't back up the idea that some genetic condition yeah. gives you some disease. I said it's 1% genetics and 99% lifestyle. Mm. Plus, we're learning about epigenetics, and it's all about right that, the mm -hmm. activation of the proteins. It's not just about your genetic code. But he's put this and the, yeah, you know, he has this narrative that he has this, relieves him of his responsibility. Exactly, makes yeah. him a victim. And the medical profession, as I said up here, loves that. They put you know you've got this yeah. syndrome, this disease. Yeah. Therefore, you're screwed. I said that's totally making source out to be cruel. Like yeah. built this beautiful bio vehicle and they said no, no, you have this thing, so you're like defective. We have yeah. to send them all back to the factory, and uh, you know, but. He he didn't really wanna you know wanna hear that. <laughs> like yeah, you yeah. said, his narrative his narrative was I'm a victim. It's somebody else's fault. Mm -hmm. I'm disempowered, and I want somebody to give me medicine and not have to do any work, and it'll make it go away. Yeah. And then I'll come back and take some more. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. and that and that in one way can work, right? Mm -hmm. But that's nowhere as efficient as oh, yeah. the yeah. goal of the medicine. I figured out very early on. Yeah. was to feel the effects for the medicine as long as you can while you're not on the medicine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's as simple as that. And it's not a good, bad, being the, you know, it's just, that's the whole goal. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So because it, then, then, it, then everything on some level is a maintenance drug. Yeah. Once in a lifetime, once a year, yeah, 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 yeah. whatever it turns out to be. Yeah. But you want to have the medicine do the work so that uh, you feel good also when you're not yeah, on it. Yeah. Can you tell me in a bit more detail what your spiritual practice consists of? Sure. I've been practicing Islam for about 25, yeah, about 25 years or so. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's like my daily spiritual practice, right? Praying multiple times a day, which is ultimately like, a, you know, from an external perspective, a mindfulness practice, mm -hmm. a meditation, a, a connection with, with source. And... Uh, I learned how to meditate mm. uh, with Brahma Kumaris, uh, mm -hmm. NGO here in Austin, Texas, mm -hmm. you know, like open eye, third eye meditation. Mm. I've been doing yoga for seven or eight years, and uh, hopefully I'll try to do it if I can, you know, five days a week. Yeah. So, um, yeah, those, those, they all tie together, and they're mm -hmm. all synergistic, and I've done lots of awesome processing and personal reflection and whatnot in yoga class from things that I mm -hmm. processed under medicine, you know. I sometimes mm -hmm. feel like I'm cheating or I'm getting away with something because I'm in class and I'm like, oh, man, I'm doing all this processing or I'm just, yeah, yeah. you know, reconnecting and reactivating to other things in a, in a more controlled, positive way. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I feel like I'm having fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. I want to talk a little bit more about a few um, other, you know, being a, a healing and wellness uh, principles, uh, not directly to do with psychedelics. So sure. we talked about the spiritual practice. You mentioned once that if you if you have not been eating right, the ayahuasca medicine is going to kick your ass. Yeah. So um, so the question that I want to ask you is, what is the kind of what are the kinds of eating habits that you follow in general in life, both in an inclusive and an exclusive sense. What is it that you uh, pay attention to eat, and what is it that you pay attention to not eat? So, as part of a standard diet for drinking ayahuasca, one would be restricted from eating lots of processed foods, right, mm -hmm. that have lots of preservatives and 
salt and anything that's like super refined and less natural where it's uh your body like burns it faster right and doesn't slowly metabolize and so it just gets your body going in these huge uh, swings mm -hmm. of you know neuro hormones and neurotransmitters yeah, yeah, yeah. and so um i think like I was a vegetarian for five years, and that process made me a more conscious eater. But yeah. I, I eat meat now, and ayahuasca just really turned up my sensitivity on clean eating, realizing that I'm a super organism, mm. and even within that, that I have these different body parts. So I've got all the serotonin being produced in my gut, and realizing that if my gut is happy, then my vagus nerve right that sends this information up to my brain is happy and then i'm happy <laughs> so then you're starting to eat and think about hey what are all the yeast and bacteria in my digestive system to think about this yeah. food i'm about yeah. to eat and you know yeah. if you can imagine them going woohoo yay or like oh my god i have to you know eat all that crap yeah so uh yeah just really not a kind of, you know, like we're talking about the drugs, allowing this and banning that and putting things in categories. It's yeah. just, more, you know, so if I want to eat ice cream, which, you know, it's not too often, but uh, I eat ice cream. If I want to yeah. eat a piece of pizza and eat, really enjoy those things, but just uh, eating less processed, less refined, yeah. more whole, more natural foods and yeah, I gave up alcohol as part of my spiritual practice a long time ago, and that mm -hmm. certainly just makes everything uh, a lot easier. But yeah. gosh, I don't drink sodas anymore, and yeah. that's just eventually went away. And gosh, but you know, if I wanted to have Cheetos, I would eat some <laughs> Cheetos. But I don't, I don't eat Cheetos every day, you know. Mm -hmm. And I, I definitely uh, drink kombucha. I brew my own kombucha, and mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's the understanding the whole like probiotics, and you know. Yeast and bacteria fermentation or breakdown is all a way of like pre. It's another way of pre digest digesting your food. You can, you know, cook it. You can ferment it, mm -hmm. and natural fermentation is a really uh, you know healthy thing to have in your diet to have a proper balanced uh, microbiome. So I guess just I would say more understanding like your overall health and how you fit in the system and how you know you can't. Uh, we can't factory farm and eat all this meat and not be destroying the planet and causing, you know, mm. climate change as, as a result. Mm -hmm. So I know that kind of, you know, answers the question overall, but it's yeah, just yeah, really yeah. that no, the medicine maybe allows you to see more into just the whole over ecosystem and see how you work and just, yeah. Yeah. you just want to, you just want to feel better and be more in line with the environment, but it's not like people are going to do that. And then all of a sudden, I don't know. Yeah. 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 You know? yeah. Start having crazy diets. Yeah. Some people will, but... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And what about... Um, what's your take on uh, the role of exercise? Yeah, I think that... Um, that's called getting high in your own supply. I yeah. taught my kids that, right? Yeah. To make yourself feel good through physical exercise. And yeah. They've shown now that's not an... It's not an... Well... It's, yes, it's when they call it an endorphin high, endogenous morphine. So it's really more of an endocannabinoid high, 
that the endocannabinoid system then triggers the release of five different endorphins, endogenous morphine. So it's like if you do yoga or any kind of stretch, mm-hmm. you push and then you release, that's an endogenous morphine. You can feel it. You're like, oh, like you let go, right? So mm-hmm. the release and then you get the little mm-hmm. morphine, little, little little boost from the fact that you pushed. Yeah. You didn't tear, right? But you yeah. just push and that's that's what's happening. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I I, to, I explained to my kids. I said, okay, we were playing on the trampoline in the backyard. We do that for hours, and we just get high, just bouncing around the yeah. trampoline. And I said, you guys, one day, I was like, you guys feel really good. And I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I said, this is called getting high on your own supply, and it's like making yourself feel good with your own brain chemicals. And you want to do that. You want to eat well, have good social relations. You know, you want to exercise because then you will feel good naturally and you won't have to take something else because you feel bad to make yourself feel better. Yeah, yeah. You already feel good. And then if anything, you're yeah. at least supplementing and that's a different ball game from like, I suck, you know, I'm, I'm depressed, I'm whatever. And I don't even have that trying to take something to fix it. If you're like, ah, I feel pretty good. Then you might be able to go like, well, how can I feel better? Well, maybe you'll think I should, you know, run another couple miles yeah, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. or you know, do any other kind of exercise or yoga or whatever. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I think those are all those are just all natural ways of making yeah, yourself yeah. feel good, and you should have as many of those accessible to you. Like we're talking about these other technologies, they all fit together. Yeah, 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 yeah. So. Um, I can't point out explicitly what caused what, but since I started my own meditation practice, I find that the diet and exercise parts of my life have improved as well. I, I exercise regularly. I, um, I didn't tell you what my general dietary principles are, but they align very much with, you know, lower meat, uh, less meat, yeah, less yeah. processed food. And I now have built a kind of intuition for just looking at a piece of food and knowing what's good and what's not good. Yeah. What I from with my tongue, I can kind of taste. This is kind <laughs> of healthy. This is not. Yeah. Whereas in the past, it used to be this. Oh, what is this whole food science about? It's so confusing. But at some point, you kind of grow an intuition uh, for it. Yeah. Plus, well, right, you literally yeah. have like three brains. You have the one on top, and you have a heart brain. It's got ten thousand neurons in it. And you have a stomach brain that has the number of neurons of a cat brain and you yeah. produce all the serotonin here. Well, so all these clues we have about trusting your gut and your intuition, there's something to that. And if anything, you could argue this is a big brain to be an omnivore, right? To figure out just mainly what we, yeah, yeah, what yeah. we put in there. So yeah. it would make sense yeah. to listen to your gut. And I know in my gut, it's like, dude, two sodas makes your stomach hurt from all the sugar. And that's literally your stomach going like, it's yeah. not necessarily the best yeah set up for you yeah, yeah. so yeah we've we've outsourced a lot of our own yeah intuition on the altar of scientific rationality I mean, yeah. scientific rationality is great but it's sort of like yeah. you know now we're gonna let the experts tell us yeah eggs are good no eggs are bad wait they're good again yeah, <laughs> you know yeah, yeah. fat is what is you know yeah, yeah fat's yeah. bad sugar's bad i yeah. can't even keep track of what's <laughs> yeah technically bad anymore so yeah yeah, when I was a kid, sugar was good, fat was bad. Yeah, that was the opposite. That was the opposite. Yeah. So, so uh, beyond diet and exercise, uh, this is not just for myself or anyone listening mm. in. Do you have any other general recommendations for living better? Well, I think we're social creatures, so we need social contact. Mm. We're living in an 
era where we have more potential connection than ever, but people can oh, yeah. feel more disconnected and the technologies yeah. can even reinforce it. So it's having those connections, but making it also sure that you get out and connect with other people in live and real time and not just sit at home and have Amazon, yeah. Uber Eats or whatever people do, yeah. send you stuff all day. So we are, we are social creatures and we function best in that way. So having social network support system, uh, having things in the like dimension of exercise where you can exert yourself and will just like relieve yeah. tension, right? We know, uh, and you can do that through Tai Chi. It doesn't have to be boxing or football or whatever. You just, but just ways to move and release energy. And uh, so yoga, meditation, and there's all these other fun technologies that are coming online, light therapy and flotation tanks and. And I guess, no, those are starting to get a little bit more in the sort of maybe health or therapeutic side, but body work. Uh, I just think any technologies of self-care can can be potentially useful. I think a lot more through technology or even coming online. But uh, if I talked more about other technologies, they'd probably be more about specifically helping people around trauma. Mm. You know, EMDR or others like desensitization therapy or using virtual mm-hmm. reality for PTSD. But just so yeah, the more daily living, I think it's the more classic yeah. technologies that we've, uh, that have been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. Adding in some new cool technological ones. Walking. I mean, I know if I could get walking in my program, I would be set between a little bit of soccer, <laughs> yeah. yoga, yeah. and getting some meditation separately from that. And then yoga. And then if I could, if I could find a way for myself to walk. Yeah. Like I was in New York, I was in San Francisco the other day, just a couple of days ago, and just like yeah, what well, we walked for an hour or even more, and it was like yeah. that was all the exercise you needed for one day. And yeah. So. <clears throat> okay. Now I want to ask you some questions. This is the this is going to be the part of the conversation that is most exciting to me potentially. Um, so I'm going to be asking you about the insights into. The nature of life or reality that that you sure. experience. So let's start off with: Have you had um, experiences? I bet you have had, but could you describe the non-dual or the non-duality of the experiences that you have had, either on psychedelics or off? If you sure. just briefly describe. Well, let's maybe talk about a little bit what that what that can mean yeah. so because i always joke in these definitions this it's it's really great and it's mm. fun to talk about this stuff but it's like why is non-dual not like non-triple or non-quad or you know I mean, it's kind of funny to even call something non-dual but yeah but to me that's 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 unity consciousness and that is a state uh i think god's the only one in that station right now we're all <laughs> accessible to that station but yeah. in a low in a different state yeah. and that's really having the ego completely uh down regulated right where you experience unity consciousness yeah. and and i have personally had those experiences uh predominantly through 5-MeO-DMT the uh active ingredient in the secretion of the bufal various the sonoran desert toad and for pretty much common consensus that medicine 
seems to downregulate the ego more than anything else, mm-hmm. and through that allow someone to be in a non-dual unity consciousness state. Mm-hmm. And uh, so maybe I'll reference the first time that really I could say the first time that that happened to me. I initiated myself with this five meo DMT medicine, you know, over twenty years ago, but. Uh, did it once and came back to it a couple years ago. Both times I kind of whited out, so it was sort of like a bungee jumping experience where I didn't see a reason to repeat it. Mm. But also not really so much at that point than knowing what I was doing or another community of people that were working with it. And I had the chance to be invited to Crossroads Treatment Center. I'd done ayahuasca over a three-day weekend, then two weeks later, I went down to Mexico to do uh, uh, Ibogaine and 5-MeO-DMT, the toad secretion in Tijuana and Rosarita, and then I went to do Peru, where we, you know, Soldiers of the Vine, a week, a week later. And so, uh, that was my first toad experience, where I didn't actually have unity conscious non-dual, because... Whether my soul tried to leave my body by going outside or inside, however it was oriented, my ego threw up a, like a rope or a net, and literally, and, or like that's how I experienced it, you know, metaphorically or conceptually. And uh, my ego got involved and I couldn't turn it off and I took more medicine and it was just had too much of a stranglehold. Mm-hmm. Then when I took the veterans back after Peru a couple months later to Mexico to do the Ibogaine and the Toad. I didn't do the Ibogaine the second time, but I did the Toad again. And this time I felt for myself that I was ready to try to let go. And I remember doing, you know, kind of pranayama, you know, right, yogic breathing techniques to mm. relax myself and really get my ego to, after like one dose of the medicine, kind of off to the side. It kind of just sort of left my body and hung out there next to me while this was going on. And I was able to then take more medicine and let go. And uh, to find out what there was beyond my letting go of that ego. And when I did that, I I can't even say that I went to a place or that I was in a place. It's just more the time and space disappeared. Mm. My perspective of Ian disappeared. My ego was not in the equation. My even like soul, you know, my individual soul that didn't exist, but I still had the perspective. I, there was a perspective that was still there, mm. except it was the perspective of the Godhead, and and not and in that in that perspective, it was everything. It uh, was energy, so it couldn't be created or destroyed. It was infinite love. It was eternity. It was forever. And it was all, and it was infinity in all directions and all dimensions. And still in my conception of it, right, of my perspective, I was at the center of it. But at the same time, I was the whole thing, <laughs> like the sort of Alex Gray painting or something, where it went in, you know, in all directions. And being from, and in, in existing from this perspective, where I was everything, I, but I knew that I was an energy then and I couldn't be created or destroyed. I could only be transmuted. So I was like, well, death is not a thing. And I said, is, is this all there is? <laughs> Cause that's right. The yeah. vantage point or perspective of the whole thing. And in my trying to find out, you know, let go to find out what source is source 
told me in my body when I asked that question, is this how there is? Source basically says, I let go to create creation. Like it was an act of it letting go to do this. So I'm like letting go to find out what it is. And it like kind of turned the yeah. Moebius strip or the infinity loop right back on me. And my immediate reaction to that was just complete gratitude, you know, and I was like yeah. crying and saying, thank you. So, uh, and since then I've had experiences mm. going back into that state temporarily into that state. And, uh, yeah, it's a state where you can be in a non-dual state temporarily and mm. experience the unity consciousness where you're the wave having a particle experience and you, in that time, mm. have a wave experience. And when you're the wave, you're the whole thing. And there's there's you, there's no lack. This is what holistic really means. Yeah. <laughs> you're the whole. And when you're the whole, you don't. Yeah. lack or want for anything so you're you're not even heal healing or you're you're it's healed because mm -hmm. right everything's uh connected up so that's uh mm -hmm. yeah and then uh and maybe know. in some sense there never was any problem <laughs> well that's i think that's the point <laughs> yeah. there's only problem because of the viewpoint of separation yeah. exactly and that's yeah. but that's that's what makes this game right yeah, yeah. that's what yeah makes this uh so here's a little funny story about myself one of the things that kind of triggered um several years back a sort of renewed search in my own life for spirituality was a book that i read that was written by sam harris called um, waking up a guide to spirituality without religion and uh so i was working in a field of neuroscience at that time and um one of his big thrusts in the book was about the idea of non-duality mm -hmm. and saying how current day neuroscientific findings are actually in alignment with this ancient spiritual idea of there being the separation between um, uh, the subject yeah. and object of experience being illusory. So in the beginning, I just had this uh, very strong intellectual fascination for this idea. Um, and so for a long time, well, months to maybe a year, I was inside me, it was this burning desire to experience it. Like I, I was <laughs> hunting out everything, all resources, all sorts of ways to like, non-duality was like my holy grail. I would, if I found someone who could say a word about it, I was like, okay, okay, how do I, you know, it's kind of funny, right? So the one time that I did shrooms, when I told you that I had compassion for Donald Trump, I remember writing down some notes. I was just here in this room. And funnily, what I saw later on after I came back from the trip is I had written down, this experience is non-dual, but it doesn't matter. All that matters <laughs> is love. Oh, wow. And so it's not like that. it doesn't matter. The true but secret. It, it doesn't matter in the way that I was seeking yeah, it. Yeah. Like it would, it was going to give me something. Like yeah. it's kind of paradoxical in the yeah. way that I was looking as this concentrated subject. I was looking for this object that was non-duality. So it's well, just only, of, yeah, yeah, only when you give a gift out of unconditional love, yeah. it's not some sort of energetic transaction, do you create something out of no thing, out of nothing? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's uh, that's amazing that you, you were captured by that, and then, uh, yeah, we're, we're seeking yeah, yeah. to... 
because it was my intellectual mind that connected with this first and was this intellectual curiosity because it made sense in like neuroscience terms so that's kind of the first bridge that it laid between my intellectually curious mind and the spiritual mind but then at some point when more of uh, the insight was revealed i kind of like oh okay even the intellectual curiosity I can kind of lay to rest right now because that's, I mean, there's more fulfillment here. Yeah, it's, uh, it's the yeah. further layers of the onion, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think that we're at a time finally where science and religion, metaphysics, however you want to look at it, can speak the same language. Yeah, yeah. Then we're getting to finally have some useful dialogues. Yeah. In the past, you kind of had to rely on faith and belief, and mm. some people would hide under that or, you know, not do their homework right yeah. and yeah that's a shortcut but but now like you said you could look at the science and go well non-dual seems to be more the nature of the universe and then you could yeah say well those spiritual people who've been saying that for a long time yeah. yeah they must know what they're talking about and there must be something to some of these spiritual technologies that they're yeah. implementing and yeah so. yeah yeah okay let's talk for a moment about the notion of free will in uh, <laughs> in your experiences whether on psychedelics yeah. or otherwise, have have you ever experienced um, a, the, the vanishing of, like, that there was no free will? That's the, a great question. The first time yeah. I did 5-MeO-DMT when I initiated myself, back when it was legal yeah. in Austin, Texas, and you could buy it on the internet from JLF Poisonous Non-Consumables, mm. and uh, I remember taking it, and I was the word that I could only, like, a breadcrumb that I could remember... So like, you know, concept, word, whatever, sublimated. Mm. I just, you know, I talked before about like time and space disappearing or whatever. Some people might experience it as like a going mm. backwards to the Big Bang. Mm. For me, it just like sublimated. And I remember coming out of that and going, where was my, what just happened to my free will? Because yeah. I let go, but it was like, I just got over, over surrendered. And so yeah. I think free will is one of the most fun topics to discuss these days because mm. I can't say anything definitive on it. On yeah, one yeah. level, right, we starting to know from quantum physics and everything, right, that the thing you think you thought of and the, the action that you're trying to do is already actually happening. Yeah, right in, in fact, the past. there are some experiments <laughs> that were done on humans in the 19, I think around 1962 by a uh, neuroscientist called Benjamin Libet that actually Sam Harris mentions in his book that poked a huge hole in the idea of free will because the experimenters, they asked the participant to make some very simple choice, but they could predict from looking at blood flow in their brain. They could predict, before the participant yeah. knew what choice they were going to make, the, the experimenters knew what was going to happen. So what Sam Harris pointed out in his book was that there is a connection here between the idea of uh, non-duality, which is, okay, there is no separate self. And if there is no separate self, where would free will come from? And uh, so that's one of the things that kind of intrigued me a, a lot. So I want to ask you, you definitely have had some episodes where this free will notion kind of dissolved or disappeared. Yeah, exactly. At least from a temporary yeah. Yeah, perspective. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But the rest of the time you feel like, okay, there's free will. I have chosen today to come to Neil's podcast and... Yeah. Well, there, well, there's that's the interesting thing, and there's these. Mm. It's a dance, and it's more of a continuum. Mm. And you can argue the maybe something I've been thinking about could be, like, say, an extension of like an idea that Michael Pollan's put out in an earlier book, 
yeah. of the botany of desire where he says, okay, as humans, we think that we're the ones that are moving these plants around. And we're getting yeah. them to do what we want, whether it's cannabis or corn or tulips mm. or potato or apples that he talks about. Mm. But, you know, maybe corn is making us do stuff. There's more corn growing than other plant on the planet. So who's mm. in charge of who? Is the corn in charge of us? So on one level, you can say, yeah, there's no free will because all these it's all one big process. It's all connected. And so I'm just responding to my environment. Yeah. I'm like a helicopter pilot holding the stick, and if it blows this way, I move the yeah. stick to compensate. And if it blows that way, you know what I mean? And I'm just really, that's all I'm doing is sitting here, but wow, I'm drawing this unique mm-hmm. pattern, right? But it's actually all in yeah. response to. That's a really you know, good way to put it. Yeah, I'm just, just thinking about it. Yeah. Because I've been listening yeah. to Alan Watts as I was flying back on the plane and just talking about yeah. the interplay and interpenetration of the whole thing, right? That you can't have one without the other. So it's yeah. really a space-time continuum and uh, the the best picture i have for myself today mm. is i know it's, it's like an ant farm right yeah. water flows down through this thing and yeah. it can make choices about going right or left or going this way whatever but it still goes through gravity down to the bottom yeah. so it's that sort of thing where you got the attractor of gravity yeah. and there is some co-creation <laughs> to it, right? Mm. But it's ultimately determined by that environment, and it all ends up at the same place anyway. So whether it goes left or right, the yeah. drop chooses left or right, the yeah. water still ends up down at the bottom. Yeah. You know, so you do have these, like, right? You have these greater things, like you have the gravity to the story. It's, you know yeah. what I mean? And, and yeah. all water's going to go to the yeah. to the yeah. lowest point. So. The physicists would come in and say that, yeah, well, that <laughs> the, the apparent um, unpredictability or uniqueness to, okay, so if you start with one drop, you don't know exactly which path it's going yeah. to take. It may look unpredictable to us. Yes, exactly. But all the laws of nature mm-hmm. are in there that from yeah, the very yeah, beginning absolutely. determined. Which way that even the wind, each, the electromagnetic, yeah, yeah. the magnetism, the gravity. Yeah. And exactly. if you could are... take all of that into account, you would it's, see that yeah. there is no non-determinacy to even the path <laughs> of every Absolutely. every drop. But what is has limited us? This is really true when it comes to what are called non-linear systems like that, systems that look kind of complicated, but it's because. Um, it's hard for humans to predict, given our limited knowledge. Uh, <laughs> so we think but it we, doesn't mean yeah. that, that, that there's Because we don't know what's going on, we yeah, think yeah. it's free will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. The and, monkeys are buying into the illusion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I was thinking about the connection between some of the principles and challenges that have been found by scientists in the material world mm-hmm. and parallels that can be drawn about, you know, the, the, the psychological world or the world of humans or the ways in which the mind interacts with the universe. And I feel like there might be more than superficial. A lot of scientists will kind of dismiss the connections. Oh, and don't talk about, don't bring this quantum stuff into your woo-woo because it's just, you know. But I feel I'm starting to sense that there may be like deeper connections. I'm not going to be very explicit because my mind <laughs> has not been made up. But yeah. I feel like sometimes the universe tries to play a little game where it like shows you an example of a principle mm-hmm. in like the material world but it's kind of pointing at that being mirrored in like the non-material absolutely yeah. because yeah. ultimately the universe is some kind of 
mirror for the divine for which yeah. it to see itself through expressing itself yeah. through that. So yeah. creation would mirror the divine. You would see a same pattern. That's really what we're trying to do is we're trying to see the pattern of source, which is to us invisible through the material world, right? And but it's not the it's it's the pattern <laughs> that's underneath that yeah. that we're trying to see through the material world. Yeah, yeah. But that those two interplays what are you can't have a creation without a creator and you can't have a creator without a creation because that, that title goes away yeah, anyway yeah. at least right yeah. <laughs> you're yeah. just like a yeah a non-creator just last night <laughs> we were talking about okay so the, the the traditional scientific idea is kind of or at least a contemporary idea is that Everything is kind of materialism, yeah. that the mind has been given, uh, has arisen from a materialistic universe. Yeah. So there, the materialistic universe is seen to be the source and the biological mind is supposed to be a product. Whereas I had a friend sitting here who had read this book um, called like Biocentrism or something like that, <laughs> where it was like arguing that, in fact, the opposite is true where consciousness is the originator of everything and the universe is given birth. And I was sitting here kind of trying to square the two sides and say, you know, both are true because without the mind, you don't have the the experience of the universe. So right now, what what are we having? We are sitting down. Definitely something is happening. We are having an experience. I'm sitting in a room. There are lights, blue, green, whatever. A person is sitting in front of me. I can hear sound. That is the only undeniable truth about what I experience. Everything else is conjecture and, and hypothesis. And the only way that this undeniable reality or experience can happen is that it requires both things. It requires uh, object, it requires okay. the universe, and it requires a mind. If you had a universe without a conscious mind, which physicists sometimes like to think about, there would not be this experience. Yeah, if the tree falls, yeah. Yeah, yeah. If you had if only there's consciousness. There's no conscious mind. Yeah. There's no uh, person there. Yeah, if you had only consciousness but no creation, yeah. you wouldn't have this experience either. Yeah. So it's in this collision of the apparently separate mind and the universe that there is anything at all. Um, so <laughs> and, and in that, there's both sides are true. Yeah. But and they're the, both the interconnected. You can't. Yeah. You can't draw a line or yeah. a cut yeah. between the two. And the moment you cut a line, that's when you start worrying about this fallacious question of what came first. Sure. Was it the universe sure. that came first, yeah. and then the biological mind, yeah. or was it the mind that came first, and yeah. then the universe was created? If the two are really the same, you know that there's this Zen koan that says, "Oh, what is the sound of one hand <laughs> clapping?" This is. <laughs> I thought we knew for Bart Simpson it's that. <laughs> it doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's more like a squishing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. True. Um, okay, so now we're kind of coming to the point where I ask you like the ultimate question. But we have kind oh, of. Oh, no. We, we have been talking about and this. And then Ian's like, have I studied for this? Was this. Oh, yeah, no. yeah. Well, before uh, you gave the Malta seminar, we met at Taco Joint. Yeah. And even in that like brief 10-minute, 20, maybe half-hour conversation, we exchanged notes on the nature of reality. <laughs> and I remember you telling me this idea of, uh, of the creator willfully hiding and then seeking. We have touched on various aspects of this idea, but if you could please sort of... Uh, mostly for our listeners, give a sort of account, the the best account that you can sort of... <laughs> I mean, I know that it's such an abstract and such, you know... Why are but, we here? An account of what is, what is the nature of 
reality, no matter how like weird yeah. it might sound. Well, then yeah, the right. What's so I would just say like, what's my working theory for myself yes. for my own personal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would say yeah that source in an act of love chose to forget itself into matter as a way to play and i use game in the word of like to have a an experience to mm-hmm. have a space-time field on which to separate itself mm-hmm. and that act forget itself to then remember itself mm-hmm. to connect back more to itself that that creates more more love that creates and we're like these little quantum computers Consciousness is really conscious choice, and we can choose more love, and that's the whole game. How mm-hmm. do we choose more love at, at every... So many things that are hiding in plain sight, and it seems from what we can see that Source spoke or sung the universe, the one song into existence, and sound manipulated uh, right electromagnetic energy, light, mm-hmm. Let there be light into a form, you know, held up apparently by things like, right, dark matter, the maybe scaffolding and then dark energy, a force to somehow balance out gravity to, uh, for us to have a temporal experience in this transit of this one of this phase, but this whole thing goes on forever and then we're in the present moment of eternity mm. all the time so uh yeah i think mm-hmm. <laughs> that's uh, that's the current model that i'm uh working off of and that's the fun part about waking up and realizing that your secret is that you know you're the animating force that creates that's life in you is the source of yeah. everything it's your essential reality. So I am having fun as these medicine worlds and spiritual metaphysics and religion and science and technology all kind of come together and yeah. everyone starts talking about the same language, which is yeah. like source surrendered to love itself, yeah. centered to itself and forgot itself so it could remember itself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is like a big waking up and remembering. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. So I'm glad source chose to do this yeah because yeah. i mean because i mean like if you if you're lim if you're unlimited yeah this is what we talked about that one night here after the molotov seminar yeah. staying up late talking about the universe as a simulation is if you're the lim- if you're unlimited how do you explore yourself except through limitation and yeah when you're a little kid you want to be magic and have do everything yeah. in a game but then you realize it's no fun because you can do everything <laughs> there's yeah. no challenge there's no drama there's no engagement yeah. there's no up and down, back and forth. And so you want to have some kind of superpowers, but not unlimited. And yeah, that's why consciousness is conscious choice. And then it's a set of source could have chose, oh, I created this game, the simulation. Mm -hmm. I don't like it. I'm not going to wait 13.8 billion years. I'm just going to hit the reboot button. So there's a certain promise. And certain religious have a perspective, right? That there's a promise even that source made to say, I'm going to let this thing go on for a certain amount of time before there's an, you know, next yeah, yeah. transformation or transmutation or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Benam and I actually um, sat down here for a two-part total of six-hour long podcast <laughs> yeah, that was telling. titled 
is life uh, assimilation. Yeah. Where, you know, my my ultimate sort of sly purpose was to arrive at topics like this, but I I tried to kind of sneak it in there. I first started talking about the modern technological uh, um, notions of simulation. Human beings are coming up with more, better and better simulations. There's this thing called the simulation theory floating around where, oh, life might be a simulation. Yeah. So it started from a technological uh, perspective that would be easy for people, re- listeners to digest. And then I started making it more and more plausible that the kind of simulation that we find ourselves compelled to enter might already have happened, <laughs> you know. And you might have, and what would be the properties of such a simulation? Sure. You want it to become more and more realistic and lifelike. You see VR is, and then at some point you were like, okay, I want to have actually higher stakes. So maybe I want this computer feedback mechanism to give me little shocks of pain when I do the wrong thing. <laughs> okay, but not really to Sounds kill more and more like life. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> And then the next thing is, I can't keep remembering that I'm this person playing a game because, so I have to temporarily suspend my memory and identity before I entered the game. Reboot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the other thing that, I, words. <laughs> that could happen is, if I'm the only creator of the simulation, then it would be fun for me to divide myself, my consciousness, my interaction with this machine up into multiple characters of the game and all play at the playing each other at the same time it would be diminished versions of my consciousness because i'm just this one brain divided up into 100 characters but um yeah i mean it would be kind of fun it would be this apparent separation where i'm like playing with myself essentially like different so and uh, now and now so the next conversation we have to get the the medicine part and the spirituality and the yeah. science and then the video game developers yeah. to talk like about the story part, right? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And they put little Easter eggs in the game where, oh, I'll put this frog in here. Yeah, and then there will exactly. be like You go and take that, and yeah. suddenly you're going to be a little bit more knowledgeable about conscious. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I think you know. Yeah, breadcrumbs, little uh, yeah. hidden cheat codes or yeah, whatever you like. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I keep talking about it so much that it annoys Benam sometimes. <laughs> like, oh man, here he goes again about yes. like his life is a simulation theory. Right. But, I mean, I, I I have fun. Okay, so now... Well, I'll just say the life yeah. is a simulation from the standpoint of it has temporality in time and space. So it's not forever. We look at a mountain and go, oh, look at that mountain. But it's actually been changing, right? Yeah. That's the point. Well, so... It is a simulation in that even though we're in eternity, spirit mm. is eternal, but material is temporal. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Which gives it even more value because it's not forever, so we yeah, should yeah. cherish it but not yeah. get over-attached to it. So in the light of this this understanding, how do you view death? I... Don't believe there is death ultimately from the standpoint of it's just a it, energy cannot be created nor destroyed, right? Yeah. First law of thermodynamics, and we the part of us that is energy, which is just another word for spirit, can be created or destroyed. So there's no death, there's just transformation and transmutation. Uh, and I think that's first up on moving towards a state. Or experience of liberation or enlightenment is getting rid of the fear of death and then working your way up the chakras <laughs> to you get to the point where you're aligned with the your true nature which is unity consciousness which is love and so 
fear of getting over your fear of death mm-hmm. is the first uh, step in that. Yeah. Understand yeah. that your energy and you can't die. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what is your view of the so-called thing called enlightenment? What do you do? You think that such a thing? Well, I think that you, again, it's more of a mm-hmm. state of enlightenment. It's sort of like just mm-hmm. being full of light, and yeah. then the goal is to polish that crystal so you can receive more light and put out more light. But yeah. to say you're enlightened, or you know, this is like a, create a barrier or state between. Yeah. Well, we're we know that we're all what, yeah, biophotonic, right? We actually emit light from our bodies, and so mm-hmm. we're light which is electromagnetic energy, slowed down into matter. Mm. And so we already are, mm. you know, <laughs> yeah. be- beings uh, made of light. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's just, let's put it in a much more... Uh, so that's what I'm saying. So it's yeah. just like shining more light is being more enlightened. Yeah, How's yeah. that? You know yeah. what I mean? Literally yeah. like yeah. all the woo-woo let your light shine. It's like it's mm-hmm. all true. So is that person enlightened? It's not a, it's not a binary. It's a quantum, right? And yeah. it's like yeah. how much light can you shine with your yeah. quantum... Yeah. Bio vehicle. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so I want to recast this into more personal terms. Sure. So in your own So I can't hide out behind as much behind all these high tech words. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> in your own uh, personal perspective, what would you like to improve on or go towards with the rest of your on life. our what? On our from your just your personal perspective, yeah. just talking about you now. Yeah. In what directions would you like to move with the rest of your life? So your personal okay. ideal okay. of like the maybe this exists, yeah. maybe this doesn't. The better Ian that you want to oh. be. Well, yeah, I think those would go to more with authenticity and just mm. we're each a unique creation of DNA and these like sort of mm. divine qualities, right? Mixed up in different amounts to make us unique. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, just trying to be authentic to my true self, my higher self, my yeah. purpose. And none of that's written in stone. That's the part of the work is figuring that out. Mm-hmm. Why are you here? What yeah. are you passionate about? What do you yeah. like to do? Yeah. How can you have the thing that you like to do be in service to the greater good? So you can do the thing you like or prefer to do or want to do more than other things that also makes you and other people around you yeah. better. So, uh, yeah. yeah and, and then for me, it's okay. So it's radical acceptance of everything that's happened as being perfect. Mm. Trying to, not trying to, practicing living in the moment. Yeah. Complete acceptance to what's coming next, which is the, that's the fear of death part, which is ultimately a fear of the unknown. Mm-hmm. And if you know you can't die, what is there to fear? Then it's just all the details. So uh, radical acceptance of everything that's coming and then just trying to live more in the moment. So you still need to learn from the past and have a plan, some kind of plan for the future, but not spending so much time in the past. That's mm-hmm. the definition of depression is regret about loss in the past. And anxiety is just mm-hmm. worry of anticipation of loss in the future. Mm-hmm. And you can't not learn from in the loss in the past or worry about loss, but you need to be living in the present so you can see what's going on around you. So you can make better decisions yeah. about where you are and where you're going. And then you'll mm-hmm. less think about those mm-hmm. other directions. So, and then enjoying the ride and just, I'm trying to live in a place of, uh, not trying to again, I'm practicing living in a place of um, 
acceptance and trust that this all has a greater pattern to it, a greater purpose, a greater beauty, love that I'm able through my own limited perspective to see. And then the, the good news is the more I let go, the better it gets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I have two final questions right. for you. Mm. You mentioned earlier how uh, this is starting to become the era in which science and spirituality can start to speak the same language. And I personally, one of the reasons I got excited about the psychedelics conference and I'm getting excited about the prospect of doing research is I want to be one of the people <laughs> who who will bridge um, these two disciplines. I find it resonating very strongly inside me that I, I want to be that person, uh, one, uh, one of these people. Um, so what guidance, if any, would you have for like a, a student such as myself? going into this i think what you're doing which is go to some of these events Mm. which gather scientists and academicians and clinicians and doctors and enthusiasts and medicine people uh where they're talking about the intersection of these things and uh yeah and i think just it's it's connecting with other people and sharing perspectives and experiences so i think i think the time exists you and your peers live in a time where the final frontier is the human mind and and of course the human heart but you know i mean from like a more scientific (laughs) career business money thing it's the human it's the human mind so uh understanding that is going to be the key to humans being successful successful as a species so um i think what i'm saying is you can do that today you can work in a place where those two things intersect and uh yeah get out and talk to other people who are (laughs) trying to do the same thing and you know compare notes and help each other out yeah yeah. (laughs) Okay, and my final question to you is, um, in general, well, I'm, I'm 29 years old, I consider myself pretty young, and you've had a lot more experiences in life that, than I have. What guidance, if any, would you have in general for a person like me? Sure, well, yeah, more like, what have I learned in my years in this on yeah. the planet, or this iteration, incarnation, version of the universe? Uh Let's see. The only the only way is through. So yeah. the only way in this work is through. Um, there's no forgetting. There's only remembering and then letting go. Yeah. It's like how does God forget part of itself? It has to actually remember it and let go. Let go of a, of, a, of attachment to something. So um, it just means like it's sort of like in meditation. If you start trying to think oh don't think about thoughts you think thoughts <laughs> if you just let them go then you just acknowledge that they're there and then you just you're not for you're not you know stopping them and you're not even forgetting them right yeah. you're just letting them go and saying i'm not attached to them mm-hmm. and so um let's see i've given a lot of those kind of tips and quotes throughout the the rest of the talk, but uh, mm-hmm. it's, uh, maybe just some practical tips. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that someone like wanting to do maybe these medicines might be what if you 
want to have a reason that you're going to do the medicine. Some people might say being called the medicine, but it's ultimately like, what's your intention? What's the medicine going to do for you? And then, you know, do you have the uh, physical, mental, spiritual integrity to hold the medicine? Do you have a spiritual practice and with, within, or a mindfulness practice, if you prefer, mm. in which to put it in? Do you have other people in your support network that have experience with that that can help you? You know, do you have these other uh, spiritual technologies of yoga and Tai Chi and body work and acupuncture and flotation, you know, all these other things to support you. And, uh, and I think it's important to, uh, you know, to have a spiritual philosophy, to have an outlook, to have a way of organizing the world, whatever. It's a, a story that you can put those things that you're experiencing in the medicines into. Otherwise, you're just one of those people that you're going to believe everything. And yeah. that doesn't, you need discernment. There are mm -hmm. Differences and divisions in the non in the dual state, which we operate in. So you need to know that ultimately it's unity consciousness. But we have to mm -hmm. exist here in the in the dual state. If I, you know, spill that water, it's going to fall on you. I mean, it's, but uh, so yeah, and uh, so it's and underneath it, it's all love. It's in its infinite. So the best you can. Uh, let go and enjoy the ride. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and to have fun doing it. You still don't want to crash. You want to look stylish and have fun, but, you yeah. know, enjoy the ride. Yeah. And, uh, that is your personal expression, right? The, the the free will part. How's this? I think maybe this can sort of finish on this for me anyway, is that my best definition of free will today is lack of resistance in accepting your purpose your destiny your authenticity your you're the right you know you're being on the ride mm. just uh you know mm. let go and, that, and then that's your personal expression so maybe that's just your face when you're on the surfboard of life right yeah. that's that's like you know yeah. that's you're right everything else is being determined by all the other factors in the system that are determining your behavior and your balance but I guess you can be there in a surfboard yeah. with this big smile on your face, right? Or be like, oh, or like, oh my God, I'm going to crash the whole time. And so yeah. it's like, you, the ride is serious. It has consequences. You can fall over. But if you're going to be doing it, might as well, uh, might as well enjoy the ride. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, on that note, um, I guess that's all I had to mm -hmm. ask you. Um, and thanks awesome. a lot for doing um very long podcast but it was awesome i, I enjoyed every minute of it same here and, and to some extent i'm now a different person than the one who <laughs> yeah. well that's the thing right we're always changing and uh yeah. there are no boundaries that we can draw in the world of physics between me and you and yeah my atoms are recycling and so are yeah. yours so yeah 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 thank you for joining ian and me today in the room of lives I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Take care of yourself and others until we meet next time.